0: And just pick up on this topic of forgiveness, which uh, if you're alive and breathing, you struggle with. And is, is that fair? Yeah. And, and I want to I talk about it perhaps mostly within kind of a Christian context, but it has all kinds of ramifications outside also. So that, that's, that's where we want to go. So if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. C.S. Lewis used to say that um, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have to do it. Isn't that true? I love forgiveness in the abstract. It's so wonderful. just kind of cloudy, fuzzy, hanging out there. I don't like it up close when you say, yeah, but in relation to my wife or my kids or my brother or my... Isn't that where it gets tough? A brother or sister sitting here in Christ—beautiful word—until Doug has to do it to you, and you to me. I don't know the history of of the term "hit list." I'm pretty sure it comes out of the mob context, doesn't it? I mean, that—that's my guess. I mean, I don't know that it's something that was true in the Greco-Roman world or something. I, I think it's probably something that comes out of America, best I can tell. But I didn't do a study on it. This is pure. Purely conjecture. And yet, it is easy for all of us to have a kind of a hit list of people who we wish were either gone or we never had to see again. Is that that fair? And so I I want you to think about that list, whatever that might be, as we kind of wrestle our way through this issue of forgiveness. Now, one other clarification, and then I'll start talking about the passage. I was talking... Oh, boy. Tim, when, when did we get together with James? I don't remember that. It was two or three weeks ago, whatever, whatever that was. We, several of us, the elders, got together with James. Had a really good old, good time with him. Well, he, he's doing his doctoral dissertation on what's called dispositional forgiveness. And you say, like, what in the world is that about? Um, and it's actually a very, very helpful way to kind of frame it. When you think of forgiveness in the Scriptures... Scripture, uh, scripture sometimes primarily will talk about what we call transactional forgiveness. So, Carmelo, I won't, I won't do you this time. I'm going to use Dave because Dave's right here. Uh, you know. Dave and I are pretty close. I think this won't ruin our relationship. Okay. So, if this troubles you, I ask you forgiveness later. So, whatever. Yeah, it's forgiveness, So, here we go. So, um, I do something that really bugs Dave. I mean, not just bugs, almost offense. I I said something in jest that really hurt him, okay? I I didn't. I'm not aware that I did this. I'm just saying, what if, okay? Dave comes up to me and says, hey, Doug, um, I I know you may not have meant it, but you know, when you made that comment, that really, really hurt me. And it's creating a little bit of tension in our relationship. And I say, Dave, I could do a couple things, but... Hopefully what I'll do is say, Dave, I, don't realize, I didn't realize what I did. Will you forgive me for making that careless comment? Forgiveness, transactional forgiveness means Dave looks back at me and says, Doug, yes, I will not allow that issue. I will not bring that issue up again in a way that's destructive to our relationship um, or, or to anybody else. In other words, I'm not going to bring it up to you. I'm not going to bring it up to myself. Or, or to anyone else. So it doesn't mean Dave goes out and afterwards and says, Hey, Carmelo, do you know what Doug said to me? No. It's a promise he's making to me that this baby is done. And we're able to move on in our relationship. It's a transaction. Do you see? A promise to me not to bring the matter up to me, himself, or anyone else in a way that's destructive to our relationship. Transactional forgiveness. So Dave comes up and shares that with me in another context. And I look at him and I said, Go jump in a lake. Grow up. Now what does Dave do? That's a little tricky, isn't it? Because he can't actually transactionally look at me and say, Doug, I forgive you. Our relationship is fully restored. Let's go on together. Can't. But neither can he as a child of God harbor bitterness against me. So he's in a little bit of a dilemma. Dispositional forgiveness... Is all about his relationship with God. Where, yeah, although there's a little bit of tension here, and Dave may have to at some point bring somebody else in and talk to me about this, and yeah, all that, right? Bible talks about all that stuff, good stuff, good stuff. But where Dave has to begin to work in his heart, or any of us, is God, Doug is a pain in the neck sometimes, and we all know that, and I've experienced it personally, but you love him. And rather than me allow this to revolve around my hurt, I need to think of ways to focus on your beauty and how we might be able to show your mercy to him so that he might find the joy and freedom and forgiveness and repentance. So that's a very different stance, isn't it? And Dave may have to fight that with me, do that with me for a lifetime. Perhaps, right? Do you see what I'm saying? That's dispositional. That's all about you and God and a heart that has been tenderized, that desires to extend mercy and gives mercy and wants reconciliation and wants that transaction, but you can't make it happen unless the other person asks for forgiveness. So, if you want to read the dissertation, go talk to James. I'm just giving you the Cliff Notes version. So, there's dispositional and transactional. And I think it's important that we don't confuse them, but we recognize them. Does that make sense? This passage is all about transactional. It's very clear in the context. And I would say most of the time you read about the word forgiveness and Dave's relationship to me in Scripture, it's, all, it's about transactional. But dispositional brings out this other element that we talked about two weeks ago. So I want to focus on this, this whole issue. Now, again, maybe it's because of my seminary training, but I'm such a big guy on context. So p- stay with me, okay? We want to come to verse 21, and we will get there very quickly. But will you please stay with me just for a second? Because I want you to see Matthew 18, how, it's actu- how it actually frames out. Um, it starts out with the disciples coming to Jesus and asking, these guys, these guys are so us. They come, and the first thing out they say is, who is greatest in the kingdom? And it probably comes out of what just happened in the previous chapter where Jesus would say, your sons are the king. And they're going like, yeah, sons of the king. But I'm a better son of a king than you are. No, I, you know, but, you know, it's just right away. It's all about them. And so Jesus, who's greatest in the kingdom? And, you know, Jesus uses a child, right, to talk about the simplicity of our faith and trust in Christ. And then he turns and he leaves that child in their midst. And he says, guys, If you want to talk about greatness in the kingdom, let's talk about the love that should be going on among the people of God. And what that means and what he does from verses five, running down all the way to verse 14 in in Matthew chapter 18. He talks about the fact it is so important that you value everybody in the body of Christ. Everybody in the world, for that matter. But, But in this passage, he's talking about people inside. That you value everybody, that you do everything you can not to offend so what that would have meant for Dave and I is, is I would have been thinking when I was talking about to Dave, before I said what I said, to think, you know, before I say what I'm going to say right now, will that build Dave up? Or is that kind of a backhand slap joke that we all going to kind of laugh at? He'll laugh at, too, because if we just all put pressure on him because it's a joke, but it's actually going to hurt him. And it's all about looking at your brother and sister in Christ and saying, I don't want to offend. It's a great text. He gives all kinds of reasons. Some of them are pretty strong reasons. Jesus says, look, people that live their entire life offending, offending, offending. It would be better that they took a huge millstone. Okay? Something not, we, couldn't, we couldn't pick it up. You could not pick it up. Far too heavy. Tie it around your neck. Take the person out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And drop them in. That's not good. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's like, you're thinking like, I think Jesus is saying it's a serious issue. You got it. Right? You see, he's saying offense is such an issue. If you're going to just say my life's going to be about offending people and hurting people, Jesus says, it's it's no no reason to live. I want my people to be about loving one another. And he's going to go on and talk about how precious they are. Guardian angels comes right out of this passage the fact that they are sheep that God has loved, right out of this passage. And he gives one motivation after another motivation and says, love one another, all because of who they are, because of me. Wow, So disciples are listening to all this. They start out with this question and all of a sudden Jesus turns the whole thing on them. Don't offend, don't offend, don't offend. Then he turns the tables because Jesus is a realist. And Jesus says, yeah, but in every church... In every community. As much as we try not to offend, we will be a- offended. It will happen. It's reality. If you spend enough time with me, I'm going to offend you at some point. Bummer. Bummer, but it's true. So what do you do if you've been offended? You see? And in verse 15, he, switch- he turns the corners. And, and he, get- he sets up an entire process of what Dave should do when I have offended him. And he says, Dave, come and talk to Doug. And he tries. And I say, go jump in a lake. He gives us a process. But Dave, what you need to do is go back and bring somebody back. Because, not because you're saying, I'm going to really stick at the think-binder. He stuck at me. That's not the point. He's my brother. I love him. I want to help him. Bring somebody back. And there's a whole process you go through. We we use this for what we call church discipline, right? A whole process of how can we restore this guy to a relationship with somebody else because we all will be offended. So he walks through that entire process and he says, God is behind the entire process. Do it with confidence. Great text. Dear Peter is listening to all this. And he's taking it in. And that's good. Look what he says in verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, "Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? I want to show you something, okay, once again, turn it on first, Doug, okay, ah, okay, I already mentioned that, but so you you've got kind of to have these two sides in in, in 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 the chapter um and don't don't worry about what." b 86B exactly means only to say this. I, I just want to read to you a couple quotes from some later rabbinic writings, all right, about how rabbis said to handle this whole issue of forgiveness. Look at what it says, this one. If a man commits a transgression, the first, second, and third time, he is forgiven. The fourth time, he is not four thirteen. If a man sins two or three times, they forgive him. But of the fourth, they do not. And they, they ba- actually ended up basing this on, on Amos 2 and Job. Another, the Rabbi, Nathan 40. If, 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 but if one says, I shall sin, then repent. He's forgiven up to three times, but no more. If a man commits a transgression the first and second, the fourth time, he is not. Now... If that particular tradition Oh, how about that? Okay, we'll just leave it there. If if that particular tradition is in vogue when Peter says what he's saying, can I tell you what I think Peter is doing? If this is what the rabbis later said, if they're still saying it in the first century, I think that Peter's listening to this whole story about Jesus. Don't offend, okay, but people will offend you, and when they offend you, there's a process. Like, how many times do you have to forgive them? Well, the rabbi said three times, and you're out. I'm going to double it and add one. So I think when Peter says, Lord, how often shall I forgive him? Up to seven times, I, I, I really think that at that point that that, um, that Peter's thinking Jesus is going to look back at him and say, Peter, you are my guy. <laughs> hey, you know, those rabbis, they gave you three and you're out, but you doubled and added one. Oh, Peter, I, man, you just know how to work the church. I'll just let you do this whole thing. I, I'm thinking that's probably what he's thinking, okay? But look what Jesus says in response, verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So that means I'm supposed to pull out a piece of paper. Or, no, I'm sorry, Dave's supposed to pull out a piece of paper. And he's supposed to say, uh, that's, uh, that's number 43 for Think Blender. <laughs> Once we get to a certain limit, is that what the text is saying? It's unlimited. And I don't know about you, but that's just plain hard. Matter of fact, humanly, it's impossible. Actually, the rabbi's approach seems a whole lot more reasonable to me. Dave, give me three shots, and then I'm out. Doesn't it? But Jesus says, unlimited forgiveness. Jesus, people could use me. How do I know if they really mean it? Right? I mean, look, isn't it true? If every Sunday I tell the same joke about Dave and apologize afterwards, isn't anybody like week six thinking, uh, like, how sincere is Fink Binder on this one? And actually, that needs to be explored too. That's that's a whole other issue. Okay, so I'm not saying it doesn't need to be explored, but 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 still, I mean, you're having issues at that time, aren't you? Jesus does here what he does so often. He gives a story, and when Jesus gives a story. There's a sting in the tail, so look out. So he tells this story, and it's a familiar story, and so I just tried to indicate it here when he actually moves to the story itself, um, verses 23 to 34. And what I want you to notice, for those of you who like visuals, I thought I might do it this way, um, we're going for a little ride. Because in this particular story, you get into the story and it seems like it's just about ready to get resolved, and then you go on, it's like a roller coaster, you know? And you're thinking, like, that was quite a hill. And then it's like, ah, there's another hill coming, and then you get over that one, and there's another one. There's, like, at least three bumps on this one. So let's kind of talk our way through the story and see what Jesus actually says. This story has three scenes. The first scene will take place in the courtroom with a king, probably some kind of a Greco-Roman Client king, maybe perhaps directly under the emperor himself, who would often collect his taxes from other individuals and then give them to the, to the emperor. Probably that's what he's referring to. So you got this scene with the, with, in the courtroom. Then you're going to have a scene outside and a scene back in, with, in the courtroom again. Notice what he says in the first scene. And, and here's what's fascinating about the passage. There's a whole series of um, shockers You're listening to this as a Jew, and you go to yourself, what? Like, where did that thing come from? Okay? Watch for them as we work through. So, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Not at all unusual, very common. And when he began to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But that's the first thing you're going to read. You're going to say to yourself, what? Like 10,000 talents? The guy that was in charge of Palestine prior to this, the, 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 King Herod the Great, all heard of him, right? One of the ancient historians tells us that when he collected taxes for, that entire, for his entire kingdom for a year, it came up to around 1,000 talents. Okay? So you're a normal Jew, and I don't know. I don't know what our taxes are in America. I shouldn't even be talking about taxes at this time, should I? We're getting very close to that, that day. What do we got, two weeks? Not even. Not even. Oh, okay, all right. Well, then it is appropriate. I don't know, whatever. But I, I, it, I don't know what the taxes that, that we collect in America are a year. I know they're a lot more than they should be, but that's, that's another one. But can you imagine if I was telling you a story and I said, yeah. This, this, uh, this guy uh, owed the government, and I took whatever America owes here. Was it a trillion? I don't know what it would be. Billions? A lot of money. A- and I, I-, I times the by 10. And you would say, look, Bill Gates doesn't even have that kind of money. Right? So what he does is he introduces something into the story, which when you read it, you say, that's not even true to life. It's impossible. This guy owes, in their day, something like 200,000 years worth of labor. I mean, that's, just, that's, that's off the charts. So the great shocker, when you read this story, yeah, the, this king's there. Wouldn't you love to have heard what that discussion was like as they were moving up toward the king, where somebody looked at him and said, hey, how'd your, how, how'd your year go? And not so good. <laughs> you know what I mean? He gets to the top, and, and the guy says, so what do you owe me? Uh, I owe you 200,000, I owe you six, seven, eight billion dollars, Whatever it's more than you could possibly imagine it's a you know in my kids language it's a gazillion dollars it's just it's more than you could possibly imagine so notice what happens but since he did not have the means to repay i mean honestly folks where are you going to get 200,000 years worth of of wages i mean that's not going to come from anywhere his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made, which would take about how long? A year? Two years? Reality, you'd never be able to pay it off. Where would Doug Finkbeiner come up with about $6 billion? A rich uncle? <laughs> Nobody I know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. And so, so what they would do in antiquity, they would take families and they would sell them off and they would be in prison and their life would be over, finished, done, over. There's nothing that, the repayment could never be made. Impossible. But this guy is panic-stricken in verse 26. And the slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. What are you, nuts? It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's idiotic. But when you're desperate, you're not logical. You're desperate. And so he just, please, give me some time. I'll, I'll, I'll make a couple phone calls. <laughs> like, to who? There's nobody out there. But he's desperate. Now, folks, the story could have ended there. King could have said, You pathetic groveler. Is groveler a word? I know you can grovel. Are you a groveler? I don't know. Whatever. But you you pathetic person who is groveling. Okay. Whatever you want to say. Be gone. And he would have every right to do that. And the second great chakra of this text is what the king does. I mean, I, I read this and I say this is off the charts. Verse 27, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Don't run by that too quickly. What would that have looked like? This guy's down all fours. Please, I'm sorry. My, my wife could work three jobs maybe. I don't know what he's saying. You know, he's saying all kinds of stuff. He's just groveling. You know? And the, the guy looks down at him and says, a great loss to himself it's gone what? What, what what do you mean what are you talking about it's 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 gone you're uh, you don't owe me anything not, like nothing not even last month not even last month you mean like zero yeah you're free you feel and I am floating out of that courtroom I mean I'm not even stepping on the steps I'm just going like wait till my wife hears this (laughs) you know what I mean mean, I'm just like I'm zipping and 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 so he goes out and I'm I'm what I'm expecting is everybody he see to say you know what he did to me in there do you know what he did to me in there Do you know what he did to me? Do you know? know? Is that what you expect? Let's come to the second scene and see what happens. Look at verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii, a third of a year's salary, okay? And he seized him, began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. I don't know exactly what happened, but I'm assuming he came out of the courtroom's going like high-fiving or whatever he's doing. He comes out, he looks over, and he sees that rotten, crummy, good-for-nothing, lousy Zedekiah. That guy owes him a third of a year's salary. A hundred denarii, for Pete's sake. He beelines it over there, and he's not messing around. He's feeling pretty good after all that. He grabs that guy by the neck, and he starts shaking him, and he says, you owe me a hundred denarii. like, wait, wait. Which, which, you know, we're reading and saying, like, what is up? And it gets worse. Look at verse 29. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. Does that, like, ring a bell at all to you? I mean, I'm thinking, like, a little deja vu. I mean, just a little. I mean, uh, this is what I'm expecting. Pay me what? He drops down to his knees, and he says, have patience with me and I will pay you. And you know what? The honest truth is he probably could have. He gave him a little bit of time. 30 year salary, tough stuff. Possible. Have patience with me and I will pay you all. I'm expecting him at that point to go, What in the world am I doing? Aren't you? Zedekiah. Get up. I I'm s i am I am so I am so I'm sorry, man. You, I owed a gazillion bucks. It would have taken me 200,000 years to pay that off. Yours is a third of a year's salary. It's okay, man. I'd like to do to you what he did to me. Isn't Isn't that what you're looking at? That's what I'm expecting, brothers and sisters. And the reason this story, which should have been a comedy, is actually a tragedy is because of what the guy does next. Verse 30, he was unwilling. But went and threw him in prison till he should pay back what he owed. Third scene. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoned him, his Lord, and said to him, you Wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should not you also have had mercy on your fellow slave? Even as I had mercy on you. His Lord moved with anger. Handed him over to the torturers. That's kind of ups the ante a little bit, doesn't it? Until he should pay all that was owed him, which would have taken. Forever. And Jesus has done his story. And Peter is thinking, Here I go again. Anthony? And Jesus is saying, Well, let me give you the punchline. I gave you the story. Let me show you the significance. Let me give you the point. Verse 35. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother. From your heart. Man that hurts. That hit list. Bummer. What am I going to do with that thing now? And. Let me tell you what Jesus is not saying. God is not an Indian giver. God doesn't save us. And then turn around and say, okay, Doug, not doing a good enough life stuff. You're out. I'm taking it back. Scripture doesn't talk like that about what God does for us in Christ. But I would argue that this is a dramatic way because you hear the story and you say, nobody in their right mind could experience that and do that and you're exactly right. You're exactly right. People... Who have come to experience the grace of God in their own forgiveness of all their sins. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean you always do it in the exact moment. I understand all that. But forgiven people forgive. Do you see? Jesus has to challenge us because we all struggle with it. But if you have life within, by the Spirit's power, you're able to do this very thing. Um, if if I borrowed a couple bucks from you, and I never paid it back, my guess is for most of you, that won't bug you very much. What? I, 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 could I have a dollar for a soda? You give it to me. For, for most people, they wouldn't see me, you know, three years later, as a Fink or that buck he took from me. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, now maybe you are that way, but I, I'm, I think you're pretty reasonable people. I think most people would say, like, hey, whatever, it's only a dollar, and with inflation and everything, it's, it's almost nothing by now. You know, you know, whatever, you know, you just, no big deal. But with taxes coming up, Take your uh, gross income. put your net, you're gross. Divide it by three. If you lent that to me and I never paid it back, would it bother you? If I lent that to you and you never paid me back, I, my home, goes under foreclosure. <laughs> I'm finished. I'm a month-to-month guy. You know? And here's what I think is really, really important. I love this when I read this in the text. I love it. Jesus never minimizes the sin that people commit against us. Do you know that? It is a third of a year's salary. If I hurt Dave deeply, Jesus never says to Dave, Oh, Dave, get over it. No, it was a third of a year's salary I took from him. It cut deep into his soul. In this passage, Jesus does not minimize the sin we have against each other, does he? We should never just. Jesus never says, "Get over it, no biggie." He does something much better in this in this passage, folks. He tips the scales. He says, "Doug, go ahead, go ahead, put, put, put it on there. Put a, put a third of the year salary, 100 denarii, stick it on there. The skill goes like this. He says, "You know what? now, Doug, what I want you to do is I want you to think about all the ways that you've hurt me, and then all kinds of ways that you don't even know that you've hurt me, which you can't even all remember. And I want you to put 10,000 talents on that other side of the scale. What happens to the scale, folks? I mean, it, pew, it's, I mean, this stuff just shoots off. I don't know what happens, but it just, it's, it's unbelievable. So Jesus never minimizes the nature of the sin. He couldn't, because in Matthew 18, he said, if people that offend all the time, it's better that they have the millstone. Of course, offense is offense. It's awful. He does something much better. He says, what I want you to do is sweep over your soul again and again and again how much I have graced you. How much I have forgiven you. You walked as a rebel, didn't even know it half the time. And there was a time I stood before God and there was a debt I could never pay, folks. I could never pay a debt of a gazillion dollars. I didn't have it. And I didn't know anybody that did. And I groveled before him. And he looked at me and he said, because of my son, who has died for you, because you're trusting in him, you're becoming a forgiven follower of him, it's all gone. Like like last month too? It's all gone. How about next month? Gone. Rest of my life? Gone. You mean like the whole thing? Yeah. It's not just what I owe, it's what I will. It's all, it's all of it. And in one moment, it's all swept away. And the more you bask in the glory of his grace to a sinner who deserves nothing but eternal punishment away from God. How could I walk out and see you and say, you took that. That's what I do. It's exactly what I do. If I'm not careful. But this text tells us that forgiven people forgive. Because then when I see that, I don't minimize it. I say that hurt me deeply. And I am more than willing to forgive you because of what he's done for me. I don't, uh, I don't know who's on your list. But I know this. God wants the name off. And you may never get any farther with them than dispositional forgiveness. I understand that. I understand that. There may never be transactional. I understand that. But if you've been graced, will you not start the process? If he identifies a name, it could be somebody in your immediate family. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. It could be a, a, a sibling, a parent. It could be somebody sitting here in this auditorium right now. Will you start the process? It's, it's too important. We're, uh, I'm going to close in prayer. Carmelo, you're going to c- come up and play with the group, with the team. And um, Tim's down front. Dave's down front. I'm down front. We're all down here. A- as we sing, if if you want to come and just pray, come. If you want to talk to one of us, come. If you want to wait till after the service, come. We don't care. But if you need help, or you want to just stay there in your, where you're s- seated and pray. Fine. But deal with the less, folks. Because forgiven people forgive. Father,